longer you listen, the later it gets. You're listening to Voice America Kids. Stars could shine between the lines If you would let yourself go Find some place you know You can use your words, use your hands You can change the world, just pretend Express yourself, take a chance and you'll see It's time to express yourself, where teens talk and the world listens. Presented by Star Style Productions as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. You'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters. Meet and chat with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know. It's time to kick off the fun with our star teens. Welcome to Express Yourself. Et in terra pox hominibus boni voluntatis. And that's a Latin saying that means, and peace to men of goodwill on earth. That also shows up in a lot of Christmas cards. Uh, hello and welcome to Express Yourself, where a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice right here on Voice America Kids Network. I'm Zara Hassanin, and today the theme for our show is the gift of peace. And I'm Brigitte Gia. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions and brought to you as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity, a top nonprofit honored by Guard Star and great nonprofits. Be The Star You Are has launched Operation Hurricane Matthew Relief to get books to the victims in the USA of um, that uh, to the victims of the United States that uh, are suffering from this devastating storm. If you can help us help them, please visit BeTheStarYouAre.org to make a donation and get more information. We are shipping to Florida, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia. Please help us help those in need. For this segment, we have Joven with us with a new installment of his segment, World Watch. Hi, Joven. Hi, all. Excited to be returning again to Express Yourself. Now, for this Gift of Peace-inspired edition of my segment, World Watch, I thought I'd attempt to correlate the theme to the biggest issue going on right now, today's U.S. presidential election. Now, as has been widely reported, this election cycle has spewed tons of hatred from either side. And today, I'd like to talk about some of the effects this might have on giving rise to political apathy, particularly for the millennials that this show is all about. Now, as I'm sure you all have noticed, we've seen a great deal of hatred aimed at one another in this election by both Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton's campaigns towards each other and to segments of the American populace, as well as even more hatred coming from a great many of their respective supporters. However, while it has received a lot more coverage this presidential election, this kind of hatred is nothing new to politics, whether one is talking about Congress, other presidential elections, or even smaller scale, such as state or municipal elections. Mudslinging, the term used for negative political campaigning, is nothing new to America. In fact, as the saying goes, it's as American as apple pie. You can trace its beginnings all the way back to the 1796 presidential election where a few of our most renowned founding fathers, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, and Alexander Hamilton, all contributed to one of the most nasty elections ever to succeed George Washington. You can also try and look for it in every single election since then. And so, 
if this level of vitriol is nothing new and so unfortunately ingrained into American culture, you might be wondering why it's even worth discussing then. Well, among the next generation that will be leading this country, political apathy is a huge and widespread issue that has only ballooned in recent years. Many millennials all over the nation simply don't know anything about politics, and even worse, don't care. They make up over a third of the electorate, and that number is only going to grow from here. However, just around half of the eligible millennial voters voted in the 2012 election, and that number was far, far lower when looking at the 2014 midterms. How is a democracy supposed to represent the interests and ideals of its people when so many do not even vote? And this is a problem not just among millennials, but also among the population at large. Even though our population has been growing, meaning more voters, the proportion of voters, of people who actually vote versus people eligible to vote, has never been lower. Going back to this election cycle in particular, if our candidates up and down the aisle do not stop sowing further discord and hate, we will end up seeing a greater impact of this on today's generation than we have in decades past. Polls of millennials being extremely disillusioned with this cycle, this election cycle regularly come out, and parents themselves state that this election is, quote, an R-rated election. And the problem here is that we will eventually be forced to come to the realization that with our next crop of voters not voting, there will come to a point where a significant overhaul of our political climate will need to occur to address such an important issue. Wow, thanks, Jovan. Yeah, I think that was like a really insightful segment. Um, and I like how you talked about how millennials are playing a huge role um, in, you know, the election season, how they're a huge part of the electorate. Um, but, you know, with this growing demographic, how involved are millennials with the election? Like, what kind of impact have they had on this election? And um, if you know anything about elections past, um, well, I guess, how, how uh, <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, um, sure. yeah, just like how involved are millennials in this election? Well, so <laughs> particularly in this election cycle, we have actually seen uh, a lot more millennials being involved in their in our political system. For example, in the Democratic Party primaries, Senator Bernie Sanders mm-hmm. saw a huge grassroots campaign mm-hmm. that was essentially coordinated by the tons of millennials across the nation that supported him. Mm-hmm. Now, whether this is due to um, millennials just being more involved in this election in particular, or potentially they have been like this in every election, it is definitely it definitely looks at least from this angle that they have been a little more involved in this election cycle due to in our increasingly technological age we see more and more involvement on places such as social media and with our ease of communication we can see more and mm-hmm. more uh, correlation between the two. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, though, um, I actually, uh, to be honest, I do have to put a little bit of comment out here. I'm I'm pretty politically active. Um, I do a lot of political interning. Uh, I've gone canvassing. You know, I go canvassing maybe three times a week. Yeah, yeah, which is really fun, and I really enjoy being politically active. But I think I think mainly the reason, personally, this is just my opinion, for a low voter turnout for millennials, you know, this, this election specifically, is definitely, you know, as you mentioned, there's a lot of hate, but also because 
I don't know if the two candidates in the, um, you know, in the general election really appeal to millennials. You know, you have all this talk about That's Hillary true, trying sure. to, you know, you know, yeah, it's just I feel like we do see a lot of teen and millennial um, involvement, but I definitely do think it's a lot about this election specifically where, you know, millennials Mm -hmm. don't agree with either candidate. So what can you do? You can put, you know, someone who is commonly associated with one thing into the office that you don't like, or you can put someone who is commonly associated with another thing that you don't like. So it is this (laughs) like disparity, you know, what do you do? What do you do? Yeah, so in regards to that, what we can be doing then is so uh, focusing firstly on the presidential election. So we need to, mm-hmm. um, a lot of these third party candidates, so how you're saying that they might be ha- have to choose between candidates that they don't support, a lot of these third party mm-hmm. candidates, they don't have as much, you know, name recognition and publicity. And so mm-hmm. uh, if they were, you know, included in, in debates or anything like that, then we could see that some of these millennials who may actually support these ideals would mm-hmm. vote for these people that they traditionally might not have even heard about. And That's also, true. And yeah, and for like state and like municipal elections. And so like here in my home state of California, there's a lot of propositions on the um, mm-hmm. table, such as right. a controversial one on whether or not to legalize marijuana. And so mm-hmm. issues like that, which would definitely be pertinent to a millennial population that will soon become the biggest part of electorate, our electorate, we really need to get mm-hmm. the word out on things like that so that they will be more involved. Definitely, yeah, definitely. And you know, the thing though, the thing is um, with third party, I definitely agree with you, especially on like, we need to focus on some of these propositions and like local government is a big part of it. But I feel like some of the third parties, especially this year as well, you see like Gary Johnson, for example, you know, he was asked in an interview what his opinion on Aleppo was in Syria. <laughs> and he answered with, you know, at this, I feel like a lot of third parties are definitely more, you know, one issue parties but i do definitely think that they should you know have a voice on like the bigger debates and kind of you know because you talk about democracy and how we really need to promote that in this country and especially you know the bipartisan the two-party system and the gridlock that we have here is definitely not promoting you know the election or like the democratic system but um you know we have a lot of millennial apathy as you've been talking about with our election in america but is this millennial like political apathy that you're talking about exclusive to america or does it happen in other countries oh great question so actually this seems to be a sort of growing trend worldwide you know Mm -hmm. um with teenagers not not just teenagers but um with even like 20 somethings so consumed by things like social media other forms of technology Mm -hmm. uh, they don't have the necessary exposure to important issues such as this and but more than that i think it is just personal apathy towards politics that we need to Mm. root out Mm -hmm. um, voters and so i do think this is a international problem that's only going to grow from here yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think, um, you know, we were talking about Bernie Sanders before. I think one of the really appealing things about him, even, I mean, I don't really like when people compare like Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump, because I do think they kind of advocate for mm-hmm. very different kinds of politics, you know, politics of hope versus a politics of fear. Um, but I also think that, you know, um, 
we saw so much millennial involvement with Bernie Sanders' campaign, and it was because, you know, like you guys said, he was talking about issues like, you know, college debt, and, um, you know, he was kind of, um, you know, taxing the rich, and, like, it's, like, Mm -hmm. stuff that really does apply to millennials, and that they can, um, and, you know, a lot of, like, older people were kind of skeptical, and they were like, oh, you guys, you know, you're too... um, hopeful almost you know you need to be a little more cynical with politics because politics is a cynical field but I think one of the like biggest it's kind of a pity Mm -hmm. that we look at like politicians as you know corrupt and politics is a corrupt kind of thing and all politicians are evil I think um what you're talking about Jovens with um with decreasing this apathy and making millennials excited about politics I think one of the places we need to start at is making politics a hopeful and honorable field instead of just kind of this reputation um politics has is kind of this like playing field for all these corrupt nasty slimy kind of people you know for sure Um, and i'm sorry to interrupt but um i think you know a big part of that is actually i'm sure you guys have heard of the recent like WikiLeaks um treasure trove of emails and other things relating to like the dnc in particular and so Mm -hmm. it's in regards to this people like edward snowden a few years ago it's interesting because when you talk about, uh, you know, restoring, like, honor to our political system, it's kind of interesting to see that, like, millennials at large do support pardoning Edward Snowden, mm-hmm. whereas some of our um, elder voters don't. And it's kind of yeah. interesting to see, you know, like, the contrasting system of values here, mm-hmm. like what one yeah. generation supports versus another. And I think that's definitely that's something interesting to look at. Yeah, yeah. Really, you know, it's 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 difficult, definitely. And you know, we have to sometimes when we look at the honor of democracy, right? We have to bring forth like, has there ever been a time when democracy has been completely pure, and how far can we go to achieve this? You know honorable type of thing like we're always going to have a split but i think we can definitely go towards more unity for starters because this political gridlock between republicans and democrats is probably what is uh, contributing you know most this and like for sure trying to gain yeah you know like an economic stronghold in the world like you want money so you know if you become a politician you get more power you can get money by you know making all sorts of legislation and we need to somehow get rid of that of course you know there's never going to be a complete solution to this but unity and like a removal of policies from economic gain is something that i feel like america really does need to strive towards and maybe millennials can really help do that definitely yeah yeah i think it's really i do think it's important to kind of find common heroes that are kind of outside of party lines as well like you know we were talking about edward snowden and i think one of the discrepancies between how you know the older generation views him and how the younger generation views him is that the younger generation i think kind of sees him as a hero that you know is increasing government transparency something that we value something that we need um but you know it is it is also kind of outrageous to the older generation that you know he was convicted of treason which is supposed to be like a huge you know like the highest crime in the um in the nation um, yeah and also just like other issues that relate to both um 
elder, older people as well as millennials is something like gerrymandering, where yeah. oh. both parties exploit their power oh, yeah. to oh, redraw yeah. these district lines. Yep, as a party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much, Joven, for this awesome discussion. Um, we are out of time, unfortunately, but it was wonderful to discuss the power um, of peace and how it relates to the presidential election with you. Sure. During the break... During the break, be sure to check out our charity site at btsya.org, which stands for Be the Star You Are, 501c3 Literacy and Positive Media Charity. I'm Zara Hassanin. And I'm Brigitte Gia. Support our show in these amazing segments by donating to the Be the Star You Are charity that brings you this program. For more information on how to do this, go to bethestarur.org and follow our blog. That website is www.bethestarur.org. Don't go anywhere as we continue our talk about the gift of peace. We didn't invent Kid Talk. We perfected it. And at a very young age, you're listening to Voice America Kids. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Show the world your smile. Be the star you are. If you are ready to be inspired, energized, and edutained, you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's our lifestyle show, Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. On Tuesdays at noon Pacific, teens talk and the world listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio on Voice America Kids. Come play with us at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Sometimes we may sound strange, but remember, we're just kids with opinions. You're listening to Voice America Kids. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Thank you for staying with us here at Voice America Kids. Our program is Express Yourself, giving youth across the world a voice to be listened to. Today's topic is the gift of peace. I'm Zara. And I'm Brigitte. For this segment, we've actually got Zara talking to us about her thoughts on peace. Hi, Zara. Hi. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and ask you a few starter questions, and then you can go off, right? <laughs> okay, this sounds good. All right, let's go. All right, so first question. So I know you love the Latin language, and you always come up with, like, an intro every week. Um, so is there is there any ancient wisdom that you can share with us about the idea of peace through Latin? 
Yeah, well, actually, um, you know, Latin philosophers and Roman philosophers throughout um, the history of the Roman Empire and the Roman Republic and all that um, were actually really concerned with the idea of peace, not concerned. They kind of explored the idea of peace a lot um, and really in depth as well. So um, one of the most famous Roman philosophers and writers, his name was Seneca. Um, he has this quote that is, um, Tranquillo anim ut eunt quilibet gubernator est. Est. And so that means, so they say any ruler is useful in peacetime. Um, and so what he was kind of trying to say, so he was writing during the reign of um, like Augustus and uh, he tutored mm-hmm. Nero and stuff like that. Um, so what he was trying to say, and you know, Augustus is known for having this really peaceful um, rule. Yeah, yeah. It's like 80 years or something, a really long time. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Um, mm-hmm. And so what he's trying to say is that, you know, it's really easy to be a ruler um, when nothing's going on, when, you know, you aren't having barbarians attacking the empire and all that, um, which I think is kind of, you know, cynical, but it's also, it kind of rings true as well, because, you know, it is, um, even if you look at history, some of the most top-rated U.S. presidents, some of the most well-liked leaders are the ones that are kind of um, leaders when like bad stuff is happening because they have to like fix that bad stuff but a lot of you know like I think of like the late 1800s all those presidents that were just kind of like I think it's like called the era of forgotten presidents or something um because like stuff was like you know relatively peaceful of course there were internal problems and all that but um overall things were pretty peaceful and so they didn't really have to do much so you know everyone's gonna think oh yeah whatever that ruler is pretty useful I guess um but it was really easy for them to um, achieve whatever they had to, um, as opposed to someone that was kind of ruling in, um, times of adversity. And I think that does apply to today as well, because, you know, we see even today with the presidential election, um, we see, you know, it's not really a peaceful time in our nation, I'd say. I mean, I guess we haven't really had a peaceful, you know, decade or couple years or whatever in our nation for a very long time. But I do think, um, we are kind of at a crossroads where we do need some sort of person that can really just put America on the right path. And that's why I think um, there's been a rise of candidates like Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump who um, do kind of promise something completely new. Um, and so I think, yeah, that really relates to today as well. And then there's also another um, Roman historian, Tacitus, um, and he has this big long quote. It's Alfere trucidare rapere falsis nominibus imperium, atque ubi solitudinem faciunt pacem appellant. And so that means to ravage, to slaughter, to usurp under <clears throat> false titles, they call empire. And where they make a desert, they call it peace. And so um, the whole kind of idea behind that is, you know, uh, we do think of Augustus's reign you know, as it's called the Pax Romana, it's supposed to be this Mm -hmm. completely peaceful era, but in fact, it really wasn't. It was, um, you know, people were, it was, uh, you know, Augustus was a complete, absolute dictator. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of the so-called peace within the empire was actually just a product of, like, very um, active propaganda that Augustus would perpetrate, Um, and everyone was kind of living in poverty and all that stuff, and... Mm -hmm. um, even though they weren't going off and conquering provinces, well, they were, um, but they weren't being conquered. So even um, though, you know, you think of, oh, you know, they're glorious, they're going and conquering all these places. What Tacitus is trying to say is that 
when they conquer these places, they say it's for glory, for peace in their own empire. But in fact, they're making a desert. So they're, you know, causing all this desolation um, and they're causing all this um, kind of suffering. And they're, you know, they would just kill whoever they would conquer, right? Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes they'd make them citizens, but most of the time they'd just kill them all. And <laughs> so he's kind of pointing out the hypocrisy in that, you know, you're saying that um, to make a peaceful society, you're, you have to kill all these people. And I think it really does, um, again, apply in the modern day. Cause you know, we usually, mm-hmm. a lot of times we think, Oh, Latin Romans, they don't really, they were all crazy. Like we don't really have anything like that. We don't really have the same thoughts and problems as them, mm-hmm. but we really do, yeah. you know, even, well, okay, let's go back to the sixties for a second, you know, during the Vietnam war, um, what was it? You, what was the saying? Like you have to raise a mm-hmm. village to, I don't know, to something to like bring peace. It was some, some kind of idea like that. Um, and we do think now that, you know, by starting all these wars and all these Middle Eastern countries and all these um, different countries, we say that we're bringing democracy and peace to the mm-hmm. world. But in fact, it affects the citizens there so much and so dreadfully um, that yeah. yeah, it really isn't. It's really a hypocritical kind of peace. And I think one of the issues that arises with peace in that way is that everyone has a different definition of peace. Mm-hmm. You know, some people, bloody conquerors will always think that peace is when you just go and conquer the world and you don't have to care yeah. the little tiny details, like how many people are dying or whatever. Um, and other people think, you know, peace is revolution because, you know, after revolution comes peace and stuff like that. So I think that's one of I mean- uh, the struggles with that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think, to be honest, like, (laughs) to humanity, it's, you know, peace is kind of like complete democracy. It's, I mean, it's a beautiful ideal, and I think we should strive towards it. But (laughs) the reality is that it does conflict with basic human nature. Humans are volatile. You know, we have a lot of emotions. We, you know, that's what makes us human is our motives and our, like, selfishness you know humans are inherently selfish and we do we are not black and white creatures right we're not inherently bad or inherently good we are products of our circumstances we are products of you know you know what makes us us and to you know you've read a lot of these or like there are all of these common books in society now that are talking about dystopian societies where you know we've tried to achieve real and complete peace and the only way to do that is to remove our sense of individuality and remove our sense of com- you know like humanness remove our human characteristics uh you've got 1984 where right. free speech has been eliminated you've got mm-hmm. a brave new world where everybody is just drugged to take away their emotions like mm-hmm. you know complete peace personally my opinion is that we probably like it's you know it contradicts human nature, but we can mm-hmm. definitely strive towards a semblance of peace where everybody is at least equal, which is like right now, not something that we have, right? I mean, we've gotten right. definitely better where it's not blatant and obvious and nobody's, you know, well, we've got Trump who is, who does have yeah. a bit, you know, hate speech, which is horrible and, you know, is regressing us. But yeah. You know, we're we're getting better. We're getting better. We're yeah. it's probably never going to be, you know, you're always going to have some semblance of like oppressed and oppressor, but it's, you know, we're trying to get somewhere. But like that brings it back to your opinion. Like do you think that peace is a valid attainable goal? Like focusing on your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I think you had a really good opinion and I kind of agree with you on that too. I think it is, you know, a valid attainable goal, but I think 
that like mm-hmm. you said, it's just kind of our nature to always want more, you know, it's not enough peace when you achieve, when you achieve, you know, one stage of peace, that's not enough. We want more, we want more and more and more, you know, um, mm-hmm. and we want, whether it's, you know, more equality or more whatever kind of freedom, you know, I think that's where problems really arise. Um, and I think, you know, peace, like you said, it's like kind of, it's a good idea to strive towards it, but also, you know, you get the sense mm-hmm. that during peacetime, everyone's cooperating, everyone has the same opinion, there's no controversy, but then you think of a world where there isn't any controversy when there's only cooperation, you know, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I do I do think that peace, cooperation, these are all very important qualities to have in a society, but when mm-hmm. your society is completely void of any, like, differences between people, then I think that creates a lot of problems, and that's not you know, I think often what we call peace is actually just an illusion of pe- illusion of peace. Exactly. Uh, because, you know, um, because mm-hmm. we aren't really individuals, you know, we are just kind of machines. And I think um, yeah. that you, you were talking about um, like books where they bring this up and we read um, East of Eden by John Steinbeck in class. Oh, uh, yeah, I love that book. Too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really great. And there's mm-hmm. this, we actually just spent a whole day on this one, these two pages um, where he talks about, he has this quote that's like, you know, any government institution or whatever that um, mm-hmm. like tries to steal away man's individuality, um, I like completely opposed and we actually got into a really like interesting well I thought it was kind of flawed Mm -hmm. and weird but like we got into this conversation where people were like oh what he's talking about is communism like he's trying to say that he didn't like communism because during his time you know communism was so big and he was trying to say oh you know communism and he throughout the whole two pages he's talking about oh um you know he's talking about the beauty of the individual and kind of the um, Uh destructiveness of the mob um and so everyone was kind of relating it to communism and how he hates communism. But then I was like, you know, because I'd read a little bit about him and I was like, well, he basically was a communist. Like he was, like, I mean, yeah. If you, if you look at like grapes of wrath, you know, grapes of wrath. Yeah. Is the, I mean, yeah, it's named after like, you know, America, the beautiful and the him and everything, but like, um, but you know, it's, it's about the working class. That's like, you know, depicting the pains of the working class and how like a capitalistic society has been like destroying that. I mean, if you look at like yeah. socialism as an idea, it's like, uh-huh. okay, it has definite flaws. And like, we see a distorted version of that in communism, but like right. capitalism is, you know, inherently bad we we have a i I (laughs) do debate so we have like a debate critic um about about capitalism and how you know once once i started debate i really you know learned more about the flaws and democracy and apparent peace and you know you talk about like that kind of idea of oh it's just an illusion of peace it's like Uh masking um yeah so we in debate we just we recently had a lecture about you know things that are going on that give an illusion of peace but actually are very very harmful where you know the united states we promote democracy right and we try to promote equality for everybody but there is there are like hidden chapters where sometimes you see a discrepancy between what we're promoting and like what we actually do where Uh there was one there was one thing where um the United States needed uh, labor, right? We needed to harvest crops. And so mm-hmm. the government said, uh, the government basically went to Mexico and took 
thousands and thousands of laborers and brought them into the country, promised mm-hmm. them like shelter and food. And then they made them sign off a piece of their property to like make sure that they weren't going to just take money and go back. And so thousands of these people, these Mexican people right. moved and they were basically treated like slaves you know treated very unjustly inhumane conditions you know often these conditions under which the laborers were working were not regulated they were not looked after um and they were they were treated very very poorly it was basically like slavery and so you see this like idea of masking and i was wondering do you see any like way to resolve this where you could actually in fact have a bit of peace instead of this kind of like whole thing of masking yeah, I think so. I think it's when, you know, people embrace truth and don't try to hide behind, you know, mm-hmm. lies. Just because, um, you know, I think it is really easy to kind of achieve one thing. Like, you know, you pass uh, civil, the Civil Rights Act in the 60s and you think, as Americans, that you've achieved complete equality, complete peace. But mm. I think, you know, once you understand that only one piece of legislation or one decision or, you know, one policy isn't complete peace, isn't, it's a good step, but it isn't complete peace. Once you realize that you still have a ways to go, and once you realize that, you know, the struggle to get to that, I don't want to say perfect, but I want to say, like, the best place possible for society, mm-hmm. once you see that that struggle really is worth it, and it's more worth it to embrace that struggle than to, like, accept um, what you've done is sufficient, I think once that happens, then the illusion disappears, and um, you know, the truth of equality and peace is really realized. Um, I do mm-hmm. think, yeah, and I do think, you know, um, with that, when people kind of agree that, you know, if you struggle for the right things, um, that's really what, you know, mm-hmm. makes society progress, what kind of is, I don't want to say peace, but I want to say, like... As close as we can get. Yeah, <laughs> as close as we can get. Um I think that is actually like when people are, you know, the most excited to live in this world and when they're not just kind of bored of this, you know, monotonous life they've been living where, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone says there's peace, but everyone knows deep inside that there really isn't. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. What about what about like revolutions? You know, like you do have that kind of when people get really, really excited, like the French Revolution, mm-hmm. they got to that excited stage of, you know, we're going to we hate the bourgeoisie, that kind of thing. Right. Like, what do you think about peace as a way to, you know, achieve revolutionary goals or like vice versa? Yeah, well, um, I actually have um, pretty strong opinion on this. I think, you know, mm-hmm. um, we learn one of the first figures we learn about first two figures we learn about in history in elementary school are Gandhi and MLK. Um, mm-hmm. And I personally, I'm completely against Gandhi and I hate him because um, he was actually, you know, everyone says, Oh, he drove the British out of India. Da, 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 da. But you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't actually him. Like his, you can't really measure the way in which his nonviolent movement made the British go out of India. It's not like they just saw this guy in rags and they were like, oh, we're going to leave India now because yeah. it's peaceful. Like, it was more, um, it was actually more of, like, the civil servants there, um, mm-hmm. kind of, like, having their, like, boycotts and, like, their protests and stuff. Um, they actually played a huge, way bigger role in driving the British out than Gandhi did. And in that way, I think, you know, um, and but, like, people still love to kind of um, paint Gandhi as this, like, heroic figure because he achieved mm-hmm. the revolution supposedly by, like, peace or whatever. Um, 
But, and so in that way, I don't think that peace is always the right way to achieve the revolution. I think it's just like, it's an ideal way. And it's a way that people really like to, you know, attach themselves to, but it doesn't always Mm -hmm. work, you know, like those civil servants, they got pretty violent, but did it work? Yeah, it did. Because, you know, when you have such an unjust society like that, yeah, try peace first. But after a while, you really can't just stick with those methods. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so I just think, um, it's really, it's kind of a nice thought, you know, this whole like passive resistance idea, but then again, look at the word. Yeah. Like, you know, like it's, you don't want to just be, right. You don't want to just be submissive. You want to really take concentrated action. And I think that's also, um, like Mm -hmm. with the civil rights movement, a lot of people just focus on like MLK's work in the civil rights movement. That's what you first learned about because he was a peaceful, nice man, right? But then like, Mm -hmm. even he towards the end of his life was like, no, actually we need to be, we can't just achieve all of our Mm -hmm. uh, goals with just like plain peace. And there are way more groups. Yeah, like um, there were groups like the Black Panthers and um, there's Malcolm X who advocated, um, you know, by any necessary, right? And I, I think they don't get as much credit as they deserve because they didn't advocate peace as much. Um, so I do think peace is a good way to achieve goals, but I think at the same time it overshadows a lot of um, other good ways mm-hmm. to achieve revolutionary goals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, that reminds me of something that um, I think it was William Lloyd, uh, William Lloyd George, I think. Uh, he was he was an anti-slavery guy. Oh, Gar- uh, Garrison? Gar- yeah, Garrison. That's what it yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, he said, he said, you know, you don't, moderately watch a kid burning in a building you don't Mm -hmm. you do something you know and it's the same thing with slavery and injustice all right well you know and you know you have to actively kind of maybe do a lot of actions that are kind of violent to be able to get to ultimately a good enough peace that brings equality well thank you so much zara for this beautiful insightful segment we got into a lot of good conversations um during the break (laughs) be sure to check out our charity site at btsya.org which stands for be the star you are 501c3 literacy and positive media charity there's more information under events at our website at btsya.org i'm brigitte gia and i'm zara hosnane or visit www.expressyourselfteenradio.com for more information our, about our show. When we come back, we'll continue our inspiring conversation on peace. We don't care how you got here. We're just glad you showed up. You're listening to Voice America Kids. Show the world your smile. Be the star you are. If you are ready to be inspired, energized, and edutained, you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at be the star you are radio.com. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's our lifestyle show, Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. On Tuesdays at noon Pacific, teens talk and the world listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio on Voice America Kids. Come play with us at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. 
That's expressyourselfteenradio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. You're listening to Voice America Kids, now with 33% more active ingredients and no artificial coloring. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back. Thanks for staying with us here at Voice America Kids. Our program is Express Yourself. Uh, I'm Brigitte Gia. And I'm Zara Hosnane. We have Brigitte with us here um, for this segment with her new installment um, of her segment discussing the relationship between art um, and peace. Hi, Brigitte. Hello. Um, Yeah, by the way, it's peace this week. (laughs) We've got Gift of Peace, and I'll be relating art to peace. All right, so I'm going to start off talking about cartoons really quick, because art is kind of a way to convey what you're thinking. Uh, A lot of artists have used this in cartoons, by way of cartoons, and especially political cartoons are very relevant right now, what with the election and what's going on. Um, But I'd just like to talk about something that caught my eye the other day, which was a a cartoon about the Dakota Access Pipeline the other day. And so what's going on Mm. with the Dakota Access Pipeline? You know, it's like um, the government is advocating for an economically friendly pipeline for crude oil that would stretch across Native American reserves, right? And um, I've done a little bit of research on this for debate. It would bring about a lot of economic benefits, but it would also go across, you know, historic Native American land that's, you know, part been part of their culture, you know, is their land, essentially. And so you have this whole disparity between should we promote peace with a group of people or should we promote economic peace? And so I thought it was cool that this artist chose to uh, depict this um, this issue with a political cur- cartoon and his political cartoon is um these native it's basically talking about the racial politics within the Dakota access pipeline like movement where the native Mm -hmm. american voice has you know been systemically oppressed within this country and so it's you know that oppression has really been highlighted in this debate over the Dakota access pipeline and so i thought that you know yeah i thought that cartoon um where basically what happens in the cartoon is these native americans um who are protesting you know the building of the land and standing depicted in the cartoon standing against a a force like an armed force of u.s soldiers and then what they what they do in the cartoon is they it's it's kind of uh, but um they Mm -hmm. they dress up as you know white americans to show that there really is an imbalance within today's society and so Uh I felt like this cartoon was really, you know, just a way to highlight the Dakota Access Pipeline debate and highlight the inequality between voices that's going on in our country and perhaps try to more, you know, bring that to light and make sure that 
this disparity between voices is halted. And so I really do think cartoons are very useful for that. And that's a way that art is able to kind of promote peace is Mm -hmm. by bringing issues to light that were not, you know, out there before that, you know, you look at this picture, this Dakota uh, Access Pipeline comic, and you think, oh, you know, it's just comic. And then you look at it closely and you analyze it and you Mm -hmm. really see how it goes into depth over the issue. And it really looks at this lack of equality and it really tries to bring more peace and equality into the system. And so, Mm -hmm. again, political cartoons are just a really great way to put that forth. But like cartoons aren't just a way of, you know, throwing out a voice about inequality. Um, You also have relaxing and funny cartoons and comics that really bring peace to you. For example, like the Sunday comics I really love. Um, A lot of newspapers will feature, you know, comics in a gigantic page of their print edition or maybe online that will really kind of relax you. You know, you'll eat breakfast in the morning, you'll read these comics and they'll be kind of like, you know, relief from all the other things that are going on in the news. Like, you know, you'll be reading through the newspaper and it'll be one horror after another and then you hit the Sunday comics page and that kind of like, I don't know, for me, it kind of symbolizes peace in a way where you really, you get hit with, oh, okay, this is kind of nice. You know, I can laugh instead of, keeping my mind you know on all of these horrors and like the turmoil that's going on in the world and although you know it is kind of neglecting people who don't have this Sunday comic piece in their life it is also you know a breather that you can kind of get from what's going on in the world and I really like that about the Sunday comics in the newspaper and I definitely think that they should keep using art as a way to kind of provide relief from the issues of today. And so that kind of brings... uh Oh, go ahead, go ahead. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I just wanted to make a quick comment. Um, I just Mm -hmm. really like how you're talking about, um, you know, the the relationship between art and revolution, but also peace and how the three of them are actually just really connected Mm -hmm. in this weird relationship, but it's also, you know, a really essential relationship. So yeah, continue. I love what you're saying. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) thanks. Um, Yeah, definitely. You know, there's there's a real connection between peace and, as we'll get to later, uh, lack of it, and then art. Mm -hmm. And so that brings me to my next subject, which is like formal paintings and, you know, like the bigger like movements in arts, art that have taken place over like art history. And so the first thing I have to talk about here is like the Impressionist movement, which, you know, when I first learned about it, it really struck me as uh, a really like peaceful, like in the moment kind of art. And although there are definitely paintings that, you know, deviate from that, um, on the whole, even though the Impressionist movement was kind of born of like, rejection and like people telling it that it wasn't actually a movement uh Mm -hmm. a lot of impressionist paintings really depict you know beauty and peace like uh some of my favorites they they take a lot of elements from nature and like Mm -hmm. just people doing everyday things and you know I don't know what it is about those paintings but it really brings you a sense of peace and of content and I think that's definitely very nice about that entire movement and you know you've got pieces like Van Gogh's Starry Night which are Mm -hmm. you know Starry Night in particular is just it's very beautiful it it's kind of like introspective and you can kind of sit in front of it and just think about the world and it's kind of like having a night sky which it is of course but like having a surreal you know kind of like sweeping night sky that's twinkling you know there's stars twinkling in the back and it's just it's very peaceful like 
it's it's weird because the brush strokes and the way it's painted there's this like turmoil that you see from a glance at the painting but mm-hmm. then when you look at it up close it's really just it's more peaceful and you can kind of relax and you know when you when you watch recreations uh modern recreations of van gogh's starry mm-hmm. night you often yeah. have like beautiful classical music in the background and it's just it's very relaxing and i really like that about impressionist move uh movement era paintings because they really give you peace and like you know you've got monet's water lilies and the depiction of nature it's just very beautiful um uh, mm-hmm. Another form of art that's really, really nice and does bring me personally peace uh, is traditional Japanese art. And what's cool about this is that it actually ties into Impressionist art because a lot of Impressionist artists um, adapted kind of this element of traditional Japanese art and like mm-hmm. experimented with it. Like if you go with like Van Gogh did a lot of uh, traditional Japanese art and put an impressionistic twist on it. And, you know, Japanese art, uh, again, like a lot of alignment with nature, um, a lot of peaceful kind of colors, especially just like soft, maybe like blues and browns and just very mm-hmm. natural colors that grant you kind of a peaceful setting. And I really think it's cool that these two uh, movements were really able to probably take elements from each other and also kind of you know, create peace, but each in its own way. And so that's definitely, mm-hmm. you know, those are two different types of art that I do recommend, like, taking a look at when you're yeah. having a bad day. It'll grant you peace within yourself. Yeah. Um, I definitely, again, going off of traditional Japanese art, I also do think that uh, traditional Chinese art is also very peaceful. You've got a lot of mountains and, like, cherry blossoms. Uh, Mm -hmm. My grandmother uh, actually really liked painting, and she would do some of these. And, you know, it gives me peace Mm -hmm. to just kind of take those out uh, from whatever closet they've been in and kind of look over them. And it's definitely, yeah, a way that you can grant yourself peace. Uh, What's also cool about, like, artistic movements as a whole is that you can really see how times of peace and times of war and turmoil can affect you know these artistic movements and how they come about and when they come about for Mm. example there's the transition yeah from peaceful like pre-world war ii or pre-world war one art you know you've got again the impressionists you've got the expressionists you've got all of this different like peaceful beautiful art and then you've got the world, you know, the Great War, and that hits, and then suddenly you've got a complete, an entire generation lost to the war. You've got, Mm -hmm. you know, conflict on a scale that you've never seen before in the entire world, and you've never had this huge destructive conflict, total war type setting. And so you get this unsettling modern, like postmodern art that's affected by the war, and, you know, you have conflict depicted in all types of art you know you've got paintings you've got music all of this different you know this turmoil just put into each and every painting and then you've got the emergence of a lot of surrealist art cubism Mm -hmm. abstract you know kind of things that are depicting not a concrete object and not a concrete you know piece or lack thereof but really ideas Mm -hmm. more and feelings emotions and so It's just really cool or like really interesting, I should say, to see the connection between your, you know, your messier 
post-World War art and then your pre-World War art. And you really see how peace in the world affects the way art is portrayed. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that brings me back to like, oh, what usually conveys peace in a painting? Like, for me personally, I, I really like softer colors and softer lines and maybe something to do with nature. So Zara, actually, what, what usually conveys peace in a painting for you? Hmm. Well, I think um, I think of my favorite painting. It's actually um, the Oath of the Harati by um, David. I think have you seen that painting? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. It's like it's um. Oh, it's ahead. like a new. It's like a neoclassical painting, and it's like the actually like a Roman story of like these um, three triplets that you know fight for mm-hmm. Rome and stuff, and it's all about the glory, of course. Um, and so, it's, but like the thing that I find, it's kind of weird because they're like going to war, like they're preparing for war. They've got their like, it's like the three of them and their swords are like touching at the tips. Um, mm-hmm. And like, you know, there are these like women like grieving, like right next to them. But for some reason, it just still gives me this like really peaceful sense because everything is really balanced and neat. And it's like the cleanest painting I've ever seen. And it's like, when you see like the tip of that, like, the tip of those three swords it's just like everything's in like perfect balance you know like at the top of that little triangle um even though they are preparing for war it's kind of just like a peaceful thing weirdly enough but yeah I don't know it's just something about the balance and cleanness of it that I really like in painting um what about you what do you think is the most effective way to convey peace through a painting Mm -hmm. yeah you know like uh as I said definitely like a lot of nature and yeah what you what you brought up is definitely you know you've got like that that perfect illusion like sense of peace even though you've got you know a preparation for work. i think that um what you call it a ge- geometry really plays into it yeah. where you have uh from the renaissance you have these like uh i don't remember the golden rectangle rule whereas like if you use a lot of like geometric perspective it really brings kind of peace and content to the art so i definitely Mm -hmm. think on you know both a like both a visual and imaginative like creative scale you have a sense of peace from art or like you can convey peace through art in like Mm -hmm. a lot of different ways through geometry through what subject you're depicting through you know the colors that you use and I Mm -hmm. love that about art that it's like you know tied in with peace that you can convey peace through it and that peace in the world or lack thereof really affects the way art is brought out and you know what art comes out during a certain era and I really do think Mm -hmm. that that's definitely a very intrinsic part of art that's very beautiful and really ties in with our theme this week. Yeah, well, thank you so much for that awesome artistic segment, Brigitte. Um, sadly, <laughs> we are out of time, but that was a great conversation. Um, mm-hmm. So thank you. Thanks to Star Star Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be the Star You Are, and our Voice America Kids crew, especially our engineer, Matt. Thanks to our guests and reporters from across the world, and thank you, our listeners, for making us a top-rated program. I'm Zara Hossman. And I'm Brigitte You have been listening to Express Yourself, an on-air global community where teens talk and the world listens. For information on our creative community, go to www.btsya.org, and our main site is actually www.bethestarur.org. Until next week, remember, be kind, um, be peaceful, and be here. Speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself. 
produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars that shine between the lines if you would let yourself.